0: have a question. Who in their right mind would let someone get away with an intentional criminal act? Who would ignore a blatant theft? I mean, who would do that? To do that seems naive. It seems unjust. It makes you wonder if something else is going on. And one of the most powerful illustrations of grace and mercy in all of Western literature has to do with that. It is that great scene between Monsignor Bienvenu and Jean Valjean. You find it in that stirring epic, Les Miserables. Victor Hugo wrote something powerful when he wrote that. Jean Valjean, having recently finished a long prison sentence for stealing a loaf of bread. Now, he sold that loaf of bread to feed his family. He has finally been released but no sooner is he out of prison than he finds himself once again in desperate straits. He has no job, no food, nowhere to go. It is a rainy evening. And ironically, he finds shelter being offered by the bishop, Monsignor Bienvenu. With no money or work prospects, Jean Valjean lays in the bed in that spare room, that the bishop had offered to him, thinking about how he's going to get out of this. So he steals the silver from the parsonage, the bishop's silver. The next day, he is caught by the local authorities. Didn't take long. He's dragged back to the bishop's residence. He's confronted for his wrongdoing. But instead of confirming the crime, Bienvenu sees the unfortunate event as an opportunity. And it is, with no exaggeration necessary, an opportunity to either condemn a life or to save one. The bishop, of course, chooses the latter. It changes Valjean's life forever. But the bishop says to the stunned Valjean, forget not, never forget That you have promised me to use this silver to become an honest man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you belong no longer to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I am buying for you. I withdraw it from the dark thoughts, from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Jean Valjean has witnessed grace. So what is grace? Paul talks about it saying that it is of first importance, or as some translations say, of the greatest importance. I want to read to you the portion where Paul says this. And I want you to understand that he's talking as much about himself as he is to all of us. From 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in the first verse. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you. Which you in turn received in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received. That Christ died for our sins and in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God... There's that word. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Here's what this distills down to. That if, like Paul, you know the love of Jesus Christ, then you know what grace is about. Scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for our sins. As we proclaim on Communion Sunday, that proves God's love for us. For God's love is unconditional, no strings attached, love that gives us hope and gives us salvation. It is all through Scripture, all through the Bible. Stories like the prodigal son or the shepherd leading the flock of 99 to search for one lost sheep or the woman sweeping the floor for the lost coin. All of those remind us of God's passion for us. I would call that a divine passion. Folks, if you've ever been forgiven and you know good and well that you didn't deserve it, then you know about grace. Grace. Grace is unique. It is complete. Nothing else in all of creation can heal your soul like God's grace. Gordon MacDonald put it this way. You need not be a Christian to build houses to feed the hungry or heal the sick. There is one thing, only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. MacDonald has put his finger on it. For grace is that retelling of the most wonderful story in the world. God so loved the world that he gave himself. That we would not perish but have eternal life, abundant life. Grace is the story of undeserved rescue. Philip Yancey says, ask most people what they must do to get to heaven, heaven," and most will reply, well, be good. But Jesus' stories contradict that answer, Nancy tells us. All we must do, listen to this, is cry for help. Help me, Lord. For God welcomes home anyone who will have him. And in fact, God has made the first move already. Soren Kierkegaard put it this way. When it is a question of a sinner, God does not merely stand still, open his arms and say, come here, nor does God stand there and wait. God goes forth to seek as the shepherd sought the lost sheep and the woman sought the lost coin. God goes, yet no, has gone, but infinitely farther than any shepherd or woman. God went that infinitely long way from being God to becoming man and that way he went in search of sinners i read that and i felt that's me and you it is the world that god went that infinitely long way for us and when we encounter god we're not offered condemnation That's why I love that story of Jean Valjean. In that moment, that bishop could have said he stole the silver, and he did. And it would have been a just moment of condemnation, for he was a thief. He was guilty. He was that sinner. But the bishop turns and claims him for God's love. If you read the rest of the story... You understand the power of that. That Jean Valjean commits his life for good. It is no wonder that Paul proclaims this gift of God, this grace to be of first importance. For God, even more than Victor Hugo's story, does not condemn you, but forgives you. And all you have to do is receive it. There's a beautiful line in Mozart's Requiem. Remember, merciful Yesu, that I am the cause of your journey. Or don't forget, I'm the one that messed up, that blew it, that hurt. The good news is, the evidence of God's grace is this, that God does remember Remembers that you are, that I am the cause of God's journey, a journey made in love. Folks, grace is a gift, a gift from God, but it is also a gift that we are to share. Now, I will confess to you that it's one thing to receive grace, but it's sometimes harder, it seems, to offer it. There are times when the hurt and the pain seem so powerful. I mean, how do you even ponder forgiveness, offering mercy or grace? Do you remember the story of Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston in 2015? During a Bible study, they were studying the Word of God. Twelve people in a room while I'm on the pastor. And a gunman came in and shot all twelve. Only three lived, nine died including the pastor. (sighs) Seems like that's when justice ought to fall hard. It was shocking what that man did. He was horrific. But I think for many people in the world, it was even more shocking the response of some of the survivors. For rather than understandably cursing that murderer's name, Some of the members who had lost family members, with tears flowing, publicly forgave him. It didn't mean he didn't go to jail, that there was still that justice. But they did not condemn him. One of those persons was Felicia Sanders. Felicia had watched her Aunt Susie be murdered and her son Tawanda, 26 years old, full of potential. And yet, at the trial of the shooter, she offered forgiveness. She offered undeserved, no-strings-attached grace. And if God had not shown us how to do it, I don't know how any of us could offer that. For it is not possible to do that if you've not received the grace which God offers you. If you don't understand how deeply God loves you, Loves you in spite of what you might have done. For in those moments when forgiveness seems absolutely impossible, it is only grace, amazing grace, which makes it possible. I will tell you, grace changed my life. And I pray that it has changed your life as well. It has, in fact, changed millions of lives with love, with hope, with salvation. With mercy, grace is our hope, the hope of eternity made real. If you visit the city of Olney in England, you will find there a small parish church. It's a pretty nondescript little English town, Olney. The parish church has attached to it a graveyard. And in that cemetery is a a granite tomb, an above-ground sarcophagus. There is a designation on one side of who's buried there, the dates of birth and death, standard stuff. But if you go around to the back side, there's an inscription. Here's what it reads. John Newton, clerk, which means pastor, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith that he had long labored to destroy. You know who John Newton is? It's the one who wrote the hymn that I'm going to invite you to stand and sing, Amazing Grace. Grace. It seems like such a simple word, but it is of first importance. For it is that door we walk through that shows us the deep and abiding love of Christ. I pray that you know that grace, that love in your heart, that you have received the mercy of God. For it is offered freely to all who will receive, to you, to the world. So knowing that love of God, I pray that you will go in peace and go in love. Amen.